This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today, my guest is drummer and entrepreneur Kari Pavola. Kari is a freelance drummer who started his career in the club scene in Helsinki, Finland, where he now lives. He spent some time at the Musicians Institute in Los Angeles before moving back to London for reasons we get into in our conversation. Over the years, he has lived and worked in places like Vienna, Budapest, and Stockholm. He now resides back in his home city of Helsinki, Finland. One of the things that I found interesting and important to discuss was this uh, seminar or masterclass that Kari puts together about freelancing and some of these important subjects that aren't readily discussed amongst us musicians about time management, money management, uh, social skills, many important aspects of being a freelancer in the music business. Hey everyone, we know this is a crazy time. If you go to the website or if you look on your phone and you go back to episode 263, the Quarantine Roundtable with Nick Ruffini, if you scroll down into the show notes on your phone or in the website, you can find links to many resources that can provide some financial support for you during this crazy time. A quick shout out to a former guest all about personal finance, Michael Mercurio. We had a chance to speak on the phone and discuss some of the financial burdens that a lot of us are having during this pandemic time. Uh, He writes, our clients are better prepared for situations like this. Our clients are more secure. We help people navigate through the disinformation floating around and we will help them prepare for changes. If people weren't set up to handle this market turn appropriately, now is the time to get set up for future events. From working with us, our clients are in a position to take advantage of the opportunities of down markets. Anyone who lost 20 to 40% of their portfolio value wants to meet with us now. So I'm including a link to that. If you are concerned with your investments, uh, Michael is the man. So check that out. A link will be in the show notes of this episode. If you're interested in finding out more about this episode and all of the over 250 episodes that we've done here at Working Drummer Podcast, you can find us at workingdrummer.net. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Stitcher, iTunes, where you can subscribe to us. You can also follow us and subscribe to us on Spotify. Check us out there. If you are interested in helping to support what Zach and I do here at the Working Drummer Podcast, patreon.com slash working drummer is where you can go to do a monthly donation that helps support what it is that we do. As we have grown, our expenses have grown along with us, and uh, we've been able to knock out a few of those expenses this year with the help of our patrons that are over there at Patreon. And if you do sign up to donate even as little as a dollar, you have access to educational material that we are regularly populating on that page that as a patron of Patreon, you have exclusive access to. Most recently... We did a master class here in Nashville. If Patreon isn't your thing, then we have a PayPal option on our website. You can go there and make a one-time donation. We appreciate everyone's help over the years in keeping this podcast going strong. So here you go, my conversation with Kari Pavola. Me and all my colleagues here in Helsinki, 
And also, it seems to be London is going that way as well. But in Helsinki, everyone has lost all their work for anything between three to five months. Like, I, I've, I've had everything cancelled until June, mid-June. Um, I had a couple of things lined up for for the summer of, of my own own thing, because I also run... I run run some stuff which we can talk about later, um, but those things when 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 the situation happened, the club that I was going to start something for the summer, mm-hmm. they immediately called me and said, "Look, you know, there's no way we can we can book music here <laughs> for yeah. the summer because we don't know if we are even in business." So the situation now, I think, is 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 very very tough for all musicians around the world, especially the sort of working level. Uh, player, I, I think it's 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 tough for the next four months. But the the way I'm personally managing, um, Finland has offered some unemployment benefits even to self-employed people, which I I don't know much about. Um, I don't know much about it at the moment, but that's what the government's been promising us that we would get some kind of unemployment for the next three four months. Mm-hmm. Um, then of course I have to tap into my savings, which is another thing that I. I talk a lot about when I I, I do this sort of I, I teach in European music colleges a lot, uh, talking about the freelance life and how to how to manage yourself and how to make this into a career, uh, regardless if you're a drummer or guitarist, whatever. So I talk a lot about money and money management. So I I do have a little <laughs> war chest that I can tap into, That's but great. basically I need to be gigging by July if 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 I want to be okay. So I'm hoping that. I ho- I'm hoping that the situation is okay by July. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I do think I have to say, and, and I've talked to some other friends of mine. I do think that the hunger for culture and hunger for going out, hunger for going to see shows and all that will be big within the general population when when the situation is over. So I do think that that can also then give a little bounce back to to players and musicians because I I think there might be might be even more gigs come September because people are so hungry to do stuff. I I, I want to agree with you. I, I feel like this time without performances, without the arts being as uh, easily accessible is going to uh, bring some recognition of, of what is missing in people's lives. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and I think, I think often it's taken for granted so much that when it's not yeah. there, they're like, wait a minute, I, I wanted to see a show. I needed to see some music. I needed to hear some new music. And I need, and they're not getting that now. And um, for those that aren't in the industry or don't, you know, aren't uh, artists or whatever, uh, they're going to start to feel that. And uh, throughout history, um, our tumultuous history, especially throughout the 20th century, there are so many stories and examples of the arts breaking through in a in in a sometimes a crazy uh, world, yeah, um, yeah, totally, totally. And I would say this to everyone. I'm I'm, I'm saying this to myself as well, <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it, it'll it'll be recorded. So we'll see if I do what I'm going to say. But <laughs> I, I do encourage everyone, every every self-employed musician now to to use the three, four, five months to learn a new skill. For example, that can then help you to. To, to make to you know to make more money and and to advance your career and whatever it is whether it's you know whether it's composing a an amazing record or or, or learning to do other things but but we all all are self-employed people and right now we have a lot of time so there's no excuse for any of us 
love to learn something new. I, I think that's excellent. Um, I was chatting with some friends yesterday, and we were talking about the similar unemployment benefits that that your government is talking about, our government is talking about, and the episode last week that has posted with our roundtable with Nick Ruffini and my co-host Zach Albetta and I, mm -hmm. uh, we get into uh, some of the self-employment benefits that the government is putting together, including uh, links to that. So anybody that's listening to this can, uh, I, I know for our American listeners, uh, there's going to be links and, and, uh, and that. And, um, but uh, I don't know if there's anything else that we can include for anyone, uh, any links to articles or things like that that people can tap into. Uh, we want to be able to do our part to provide that information. And I'm going to be doing the same this week to look into that because that would be amazing to be able to spend this time doing all the things that we haven't had time to do because we're hustling constantly. And when you're self-employed, when you're yeah. self-employed, you're right, you're it's a constant hustle and it's not for the faint of heart. Some of my friends are saying, look, I'm, I'm finally finishing this recording project. I'm finally finishing this song and I'm getting this together. So that's what... Yeah, so, hopefully some, so hopefully some amazing art will come out of this, you know, as, as it has done throughout history. A lot of... Uh, other bad things will will you know create good art. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, yeah. You know, I believe so. Well, I'd, I'm really excited to talk to you about your seminar, um, and I, I want to kind of preface uh, this the top of this conversation with we're going to get into that. I do want people to get to know you a little bit more. So maybe give us some background on on who you are and and what your how your experience led you to what you're doing now. Um, yeah, I, I'm originally from Helsinki, uh, which is the capital of Finland, up in in northern Europe, and and I grew up there, and um, and started playing drums really early. Got into music heavily since I was sort of nine years old. But I also grew up in a musical family. My mom was a professional harpist in the National Opera in, in Helsinki, and her father was a, a piano professor in the local uh, music university and all that. So becoming a musician was, was sort of easy in that sense. Well, not becoming a musician, but becoming interested in music and, and being supported uh, by, by your family to, to do that in a way. So, so that's how I started here, you know, drum lessons, normal kind of things. And then um, I moved to, uh, to LA in 96 to study in PIT, which was very much influenced by by my, my my teacher here in Finland at the time who was an amazing Finnish drummer um, Sami Kuoppamäki who um, who was like a very much a, a, a big local hero in the drumming community so he had gone to that school so through his sort of uh, advice and, and and encouragement I I went to see I went to see Manhattan School of Music in New York and I went to see uh, PIT in LA and then came back to Finland and chose PIT and I went there in 96, and then I split the course in two, so I came back to Finland to do some playing, earn some money, and, and have a break, and also practice the, the materials that we were given, because it's a crazy, crazy school, PIT, you get lots of material and, and lots of things to do all the time, so I thought, you know, I'm going to split it into two, and then I went back there and graduated in 98, and moved to London in 98, and then stayed there until... Uh, 
2010, I believe, after which we moved to Vienna for a few years. And then we moved back to Helsinki with my wife, my American wife. We moved here in uh, 2013, 2014, uh, in between those, and have been here ever since. Um, so that's 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 a really really quick history of me, uh, what, what, <laughs> right. what I've what, what what I've done. Um, of course, I can spend the next ten minutes to try to name drop all the people I played for and all that, but I don't think that's super important <laughs> for the listener. We'll, we'll but, probably um, touch upon some of those. I, I have a question about PIT. Was, was there who was teaching at the time? Was there any important teachers that you worked with um, there? Joe Joe Pocaro and 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 Ralph Humphrey unfortunately just left when I when I en- entered the school, which of course at the time was a was a disappointment. But um, but the, the teachers there were absolutely phenomenal, um, and I, I felt I felt you know I felt like I was in this weird ecosystem of learning and music because it was the school was open twenty four hours a day. And and the only thing you did was you just played, played and practiced, played and practiced. Um, the the guys that sort of that I really enjoyed studying with, there was a guy called Dave Salinas, mm-hmm. great drummer. I think he plays for Kenny Loggins right now. So big shout out to Dave if he would listen to this, and also Tim Pedersen, who was the uh, I think was he the maybe he wasn't the head of drums then. No, it might have been Gary Hess, but Tim Pedersen was a really huge influence to me and we've stayed friends ever since keeping touch and stuff studying with him and, and very much talking with him was super important to me um gary hess was there was a great um he ran the reading curriculum he was amazing basically all of you know if i forget anyone <laughs> i'm <laughs> sorry but sure. all, all the teachers there were really influential ray luzia was there at the time yeah um mm-hmm. But I wasn't really into into sort of heavy rock playing, so I didn't really study with him, uh, apart from a couple of open counselings and stuff. Um, but yeah, the, the, I think I think for PIT and for most of those kind of American schools from a European perspective, you just as a as a young European drummer or musician or musician hopeful, you go to these places and you're so. I felt like I was. I was at the source, <laughs> you know, like all the, all the information is available in any city and any country, especially now, even more than 20 years ago. But I think there is some kind of element when you go into these music meccas like LA or New York or Nashville or London or maybe Paris, that something happens in, in, in you as a, as a young player. Like, you know, I think that's, that's as important to your study process or your life experience process as is the, you know, the materials, whatever. What Was there one thing or a couple things that really defined a, a change in you, in your approach, in your playing after that time? Um, great question. Um, I think I was, I was very young, so I think uh, I, haven't, I hadn't really acquired uh, some, you know, I didn't have any persona in my playing or anything at 19 years old. Mm-hmm. I was just a kid. Um, but in terms of, for example, technique, the, the, the technique teacher there was phenomenal, whose name, um, oh God, I can't remember now. Uh, his name was, last name was Owens, I believe. Uh, this is so embarrassing, but his okay. teachings were incredible. Um, and I've never had any problems with my hands ever. That's amazing. Like, not, it, it is, it is amazing. Maybe I'm just lucky, but I do believe that it was much to do with his 
teaching. Um, so I really sorted my hands out when I was well when I was there. Um, did I find a change? Um, I don't think so. But I think there, for the first time, I really felt like I can do this for a living. And and you know, oh, and one person really important to mention was Russ Miller. He had just moved yeah. to LA, um, and he uh, he taught there, and and he was he was very influential. I, I hang out with him a lot. Went to his um, counselings and, and and live playing workshops and whatever. And also at the end of my time in LA, I took some private lessons from him. Um, sorry, Russ, that I forgot you <laughs> five, five five minutes ago. A big shout out to him as well because he was. Uh, he was a great, and he's a great teacher. Yeah, and uh, Russ, we've had the honor of having him as a guest in the past, and he is now offering a 90-day free subscription to his online lessons, and we posted a link on our Facebook page, but for anybody that's listening and, and needs something to do during this quarantine time, uh, I've already started working a little bit from there, uh, working on some of his hand techniques and things like that, and it's 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 very thorough. So you can check that out. There's a link again on our Facebook page. Well, one of the things we we discussed uh, last my last interview with Jimmy Paxson is he was having some hand issues, and he was going to go to the doctor. Just as a brief brief mention here, uh, somebody recommended going to see a teacher at the time. It was it was Murray Spivak when he was alive, and he went to see him, and he. It resolved the issue. So my point being, uh, you know, if if you're dealing with carpal tunnel or other some of these other issues, physical issues, it could be a, a technique thing. Um, most almost most likely, it could be resolved. I, I would say so as well. I've I've I've, I've taught a lot uh, ever since, and 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 I do see a lot of drummers holding the stick the wrong way and just just having having these these you know like having too much pressure. In, yeah, you know, in how they, how they hold the stick and stuff, and and that's where it comes from, I believe. Um, so so yeah, any anyone who's having problems with that, I I, I would recommend finding right. finding finding a, a good teacher, the right kind of teacher that would teach that. And and I think it's important also to remember when you when you're studying technique, go to that that person who's. Sort of the technique person. Don't go to the hippest groover because he might not have, or she might not have the best technique. Yeah, um, that's so, true. So that's true. Yeah. So go go to the person the person who will give you the answer for for your problem. And then when you want to study funk drumming, then go to the funk specialist. Or when you want to study this or that, um, sometimes sometimes that's that's something that especially a young player might might overlook in a way that what what they actually want from a teacher. That's a really great point. I, I think that as as there are many different personalities behind the kit, there are many different personalities teaching. Yeah. Why London? Was it just you're like, well, this is a this is kind of close to Europe, and it's it's a big mu- music scene. It's gonna, you know, what? Why? Why London? Well, I guess um, I, I heard, of course I had a dream of of staying in the, in states, but then I heard some sort of horror stories of, of, of musicians being there without permits and work permits and whatever, like European players and, uh, and people getting like, you know, five year, uh, like they got, you know, they would get caught in LA playing for a hundred bucks and then they would be sent home and say, you can't come to the country for five years. Oh, wow, so yeah. me being like a rule about obeying Finn, <laughs> then I thought, okay, I'm not going to do that. Um, I don't want to, close the door to, to, to us so I, I will I will go and check out London 
because uh, at the time, you know, European Union and all that, which the Brits just now left, unfortunately. But at mm-hmm. the time, European Union was was there for for the you know Britain was part of it. So moving to London required nothing. You would just go in and just go to the local whatever office to say, hey, I live here now, and that was it. So there was no immigration problems for me. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so that that was that was that was a big big reason. And and of course London is, is the center of music in in Europe and um and in the world as well, one of the big big cities. Yeah. So sure. my idea was that I, I'm gonna go there for three or four months just to check it out. And 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 talking to other sort of European musicians living in London, pretty much everyone has the same story. Everyone goes there for three months to check it out and then they never leave. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's amazing. So so that's what I did. And I started applying for bands, even from from LA. Uh, I, I would buy British music publications from uh, from from the local record store in on Sunset Boulevard, um, Virgin Records or whatever it was. And I would then call all these adverts and try to line up some auditions when I already, you know, when I went there. Oh, okay. And and I and I got into two bands straight away. And the one wasn't really my style of music, but they had a free rehearsal space. And, and in a place like London or New York or wherever, if someone has a free rehearsal space that, that you don't have to pay for, the management pays for it, and also it happened to be near where I lived, uh, that was good enough reason for me to play in the band. That's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, for sure. Um, so so I joined that group, and then I joined another another lady who uh, who 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 had she she got lots of interest from a guy called Charles Martin who's now a huge producer he's also the son of Sir George Martin who everyone yeah. knows so those of you who don't know you need to check out who he is <laughs> um, but um but so so he started to produce this lady that I played for and we started recording and 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 we recorded in in Air Studios which is uh uh, George Martin, Sir George Martin's studio. So we spent my fi- my first summer in London. I was at Air Studios recording for someone, and I thought this is incredible. You know, <laughs> this right. was really easy, uh, which of course wasn't the case. But it was like a funny, just a funny incidental thing to happen straight away when I moved to town. Um, but after that, I had very lean years for for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Was there anything uh, about working with Giles that that was just a, like a a significant moment in your development or something that you carry with you? Uh, it was, it was significant in the sense that, uh, of course the drums, I, you know, I, I, I spent the least amount of time actually playing and working cause you do the drums first and then I would go in and do this or that, or maybe, maybe just hang out or whatever. Yeah. But it was just fantastic to be in such a young age, to be in, in, in such a big professional setting in a, incredible studio with a good producer making music um so so it was just it was just a very nice way to kickstart the, the life in london yeah. um but i have to also for for the listener it wasn't like some big session with lots of money and whatever because she was she was a development artist so the, the budgets were small and we were more like a band band for her sure sure and then unfortunately nothing happened uh, with with her music and then the whole thing sort of fiddled away, but but it was a great way to start 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 the life in London. Quite quite surreal, really. Yeah, uh, I, I can would, imagine. You would go go to the 
the studio in the morning and you'd have Eurythmics there and you would have whoever there, like mega names, and then we would be in a small room somewhere, you know? Yeah, working, right, but still. Working. But and st- it was just like being 21, like, okay, <laughs> this is cool. <laughs> right. Well, and, and just a bit of trivia about Giles is that uh, on the uh, Cirque du Soleil Beatles Love soundtrack, it's mm-hmm. all the original recordings manipulated in such a way. It's a beautiful soundtrack. But there's right. one original string arrangement. Uh, it's it's during one of Ringo's songs, uh, funny enough, and it's arranged by Giles. Right, right. It is, I, yeah. And I just thought that was amazing. Like the one snippet of, of original recording is uh, was arranged by Giles at the time. Right, um, right. Yeah, he's become a very, very sought after and very respected producer. I mean, this you know my, my story. Is is twenty five? No, twenty, twenty two years old. Mm-hmm, but um, still, you so, know. But yeah, that's great. That's great. And 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 those things, just those little, little points of light in our journey, uh, often sustain us through uh, some tough times, through lean times. And, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's very very important just to be to get these artistic and emotional these kind of you know feel good situations you know it doesn't matter how much money you make in that situation or not but it really carries you and it gives you it gives you the fuel to to, to carry on and, and trust yourself and mm-hmm. you know feel like okay maybe i'm maybe i do maybe i'm doing the right thing maybe i'm you know maybe i'm doing something okay i should just carry on because of course give it six months or 12 months you also you will have the droughts as well and and you know it's a it's it's a it's it's never a, a steady life being a no. a, a music, musician or drummer for hire. Yeah, tell me about it. Uh, uh, it. Is this the time when you started working with Cinerama when you were in London? Yes, I I I, I got that gig uh, in two thousand, I believe, early two thousand. I got the gig um, through a friend because he would he was playing in the group before me, but then his own band, original group, got signed to a big, big, big label, big deal. Um, so he had to leave Cinerama, and then he would recommend me, and I auditioned and, and got the gig, yeah. Yeah, that was that was 2000, and that's probably, if I moved to London March 98, then I, w- I was fully professional drummer in, say, sort of March 2000. So okay. anyone, again, if there's young listeners here, you know, two years was really rough. Of course, there were great moments artistically, like working with Giles and, and doing this and that and doing some really cool gigs with some really cool people. But the first two years were rough in terms of finances and mm-hmm. all that business. Um, so it's it's important to sort of note that that if, if someone is moving to a big, big city to work, it's not going to happen in six months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to prepare yourself. And I'm sure that that kind of informed you on on what you're teaching now you know you based yeah, on absolutely. that experience well yeah. the, I, I i mean i probably have listeners on there they're going to be like scratching their heads uh but i i'm i'm not super i'm not hip to cinerama and so uh, can you tell our listeners or anybody that maybe doesn't know uh who who this was uh yeah cinerama was a group uh formed by a guy called david getz who was like an indie rock hero from England. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a he had a band called The Wedding Present, that was quite successful. 
in, I believe, early 90s, late 80s. And then he stopped that group and started a group with his partner um, called Cinerama. That was more, I'd say, more poppy than The Wedding Present, more melodic, more cinematic, hence the name. Mm-hmm. And and they had a they had a, a small deal with a label in LA, and they had a deal. I guess they had their own. Uh, yeah, he had his own label in in UK. Um, but basically, we're talking about an indie band. We would play to audiences between say three hundred people to thousand people. So club club sized band. So nothing. It wasn't like a major mega big band by any means. But he had a really strong following in in UK Germany. And states as well, so my kind of my my lifelong dream came true with with, with that group because I was able to tour the states, um, which again then was a good thing that I didn't stay in in LA illegally and, and get caught, for example, for playing a fifty buck gig, because uh, because our main market or his main market with these groups in around was was the United States. So then we would we would tour there every year. We would spend six seven weeks on the road. In states every year for the next five years that I was with the group. Wow, that's that's amazing. And it sounds yeah, it was, it, a, a lot of I think a lot of people agree. Sometimes those clubs, a really cool theater or a cool club, a good sized club, is sometimes the, just the funnest experience with uh, with crowds and interacting. Absolutely, absolutely, and it, and it was nice um, also to play because he was the. He was the headliner, so whatever whoever was in the room was there for him. Or you know, I don't want to say to us because really it was nothing to do with me. I was just a drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it, it's a different it's a different energy level if you have three hundred, four, five hundred people who bought the ticket to see you. Yeah. Than than it is to be, a, a, you know, the first support act on a big arena gig, where people are just turning up to the hall. Um, <laughs> and there's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. both. Both situations yeah. are fine and, and great, but there's always the. It's nice to play a big room because, like, wow, I'm on an arena. <laughs> but then at the same time, it's amazing to play for three, four, five hundred people who are totally into what, what's happening. Yes, yes. Well, in in just kind of digging in and and checking out uh, wedding present and Cinerama, it's like, man, like, how do I not know these people? You know, there's definitely a following. There's definitely some history there that um, what you're describing does not surprise me in the least, for sure. That, yeah, that's yeah, no, he, he has a very, very hardcore, small but hardcore following, which allows him, I believe, I haven't been in touch with him for years, but I believe he's still doing it. What happened with us in 2004, we made a yet another record in Chicago um, with Steve Albini, and then he felt that it sounded like the wedding present, that he went back to the sort of rockier, harsher sound so then what he did he he decided because he 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 was the wedding present so he released this cinerama record he said okay i'm gonna make a comeback and we're gonna start touring as the wedding present because this record sounds like the wedding present Mm -hmm. and so the last record i did with him was was called the wedding present again Uh, but then that tour i decided to uh to to leave leave the group and and stay in london and, and concentrate on other 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 things Gotcha. Did that include West End working on the West End? Uh, unfortunately, I, I never worked in the West End. I, I worked—I don't know how would you call it—off West End. So uh-huh. I played. Yeah, yeah. I played a lot of a lot of musicals, but smaller, smaller musicals. Um, there was a place called Stratford Theatre in East London that would have a lot of productions where I would be the second drummer. The first drummer was a guy called Perry. 
Milius, big shout out to Perry if he would happen to listen to this because mm-hmm. Perry is an awesome human being and great drummer. Um, so he would sort of get me into that that theater and I would do all the gigs for a few years that he he didn't do there when he was on tour. I would be depping for him, and then there was lots of smaller smaller productions that I did. Nice, but yeah. unfortunately, no 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 West End apart from one dep one one time. Yeah, <laughs> I went to dep in a show. Well, and and I imagine like kind of uh, in Broadway uh, in New York. I mean, it's just a completely different mindset. Uh, the the reading, the playing, the interaction. It's a it's a, it's definitely a skill set. Uh, that um, you know, it's 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 a more demanding thing uh, for those that don't have experience in it. You know, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing. I, I thought about it a lot because I I can also also tell tell this you know, as a, as a story that I, I went to Depp, I went to Depp on a Western show and, and did it once, learned the pad and all this, and never got a, a callback, which can mean it can mean two things. I didn't do a good job. Or it can mean that I was just so down in the line of queue in, with the depths that that I was just forgotten and, and someone else was doing whatever. Sure. But 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 the, the interesting thing in, in that scene, I don't know how it works in the states, but at least in London, it worked that way. That that going to depth in a show is way way harder than actually having your own show. Because if you have your own show, which I've also done, you get lots of rehearsal time. Right. So you get to learn the pad. And you get to read it, you get to play it multiple times, and, and it's all cool. But when you go and dip, you know, you just learn the music at home with videotapes and whatever, and, and go and sit next to the drummer, and then, then you go and do your first show. So you go in fully cold. So it's, it's way harder actually doing the depping than it is to do the being the primer, the, you know, the, the first call. <laughs> right. And, and so what are you saying? Are you saying dip as in DIP or dep? Oh, as in as in substitute, as a sub American, yeah, you would call it, yeah, uh, subbing, yeah. So, yeah. what what's the word that you're saying there? Just so oh, I understand, to uh, the deputy, like to dep. Oh, yeah, wow! Sorry. Like to deputize someone to bring them in on the force. So you're depping. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing! I I've never heard that before. <laughs> yeah, sorry, British British English versus American English. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, yeah. that's that's great. No, I love those little colloquialisms you know yeah. and we had you know as you there's probably different ones around europe and there's different around the states when i first moved to nashville uh they were saying if you would go up to a celebrity and you know annoy them or whatever try to get an autograph or do they'd say they call it germing and okay i never i'm like what what is that germing they're like you're like a germ you're like on oh. them I'm like, well, okay. why not call it germing? But it just evolved into germing, and it was those little one of those little local things. And I was like, man, that's that's so funny. The states have a lot, a lot of the little. My, my wife's from Pittsburgh, and and they have their fully own language in Pittsburgh. You know? <laughs> oh, tell me about it. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I've worked with people from Pittsburgh, and it's it's it is amazing. It's an and I love. Uh, identifying what part of the country people are from or part of the South where they're from based on one word that they say. Right. And I'll say, hey, are you from Cincinnati? And they say, yeah, how do you know that? You know, because you don't say what, you say please. You know, all the all right. those little things. It's just, I love that stuff. That's yeah. fascinating. Um, well, so you spent some time, you know, you, you mentioned moving to Vienna. You've lived in Budapest, um, off Helsinki now, of course, uh, again, and, and Stockholm. You know, 
what what was the reason for the for moving around or, or leaving London? Well, short, uh, long story short, um, we had our first child in 2007, mm-hmm. and then the the financial crash came in 2008. So my wife lost her job, and there was nothing around for her in her field at the time in in London. So then. So some offers came in for her, and, and one of them came in from, from Budapest. And then we were thinking, okay, what should we do here? You know, should we should we move to Budapest? Maybe maybe not. Maybe we should, and all these big, big conversations. And then what we decided to do is that I would stay. We would sort of live in two cities at once, thanks to the sort of low-cost airlines that you were able to do that kind of thing. Oh, cool. So we would um, – we would, we would, we would keep our apartment and just rent the other room to, to a flatmate. So I would basically have a have a flatmate in uh, you know roommate in, in London and share the apartment with me. And then I would spend start of the weeks in Budapest and then the weekends gigging in London. And and that's what we did so that my wife would explore this this other path in her career. So we kind of sort of semi relocated in Budapest okay. for one year for one year. Um, and then I would be in London most of the time, and obviously for a, for a family with a young child, that wasn't the best idea. <laughs> so, so, so then after a year, we we decided, okay, this is not good for us. So, what about Vienna? And luckily, her company had an office in Vienna, and Budapest and Vienna are uh, two hundred eighty miles, hundred ninety miles apart, with a really good train connection and all that. So we could live all of us in Vienna, and she could still visit her boss in Budapest when needed. So then we moved to Vienna, where I was then able to to work more as a drummer. So I wouldn't have to then go back to London anymore. So that's kind of that's 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 long story short. Sure, so then we ended sure. up in Vienna, and we stayed there for three years, and uh, I was able to do quite a bit of playing um, in in there, and did, did did some cool stuff. I met lots of lots of nice American and British musicians live live there. So I was able to play with them and play with local guys and all that. You know, I mean, Vienna was just, it was the capital of the arts for so Absolutely. many, you know, yeah. for hundreds of years. And and so many of these places that, you know, a lot of us uh, Americans, you know, see and read about, you know, they just seem like such amazing places, but they're not known as anymore as like a, a, a musical center uh, but the idea of living in a place like that just sounds amazing. What? How difficult was it to find work, or was it easy? Uh, in in Budapest, I didn't really try that hard because uh-huh. I was so busy coming back to London a sure. lot. Yeah, um, but I did I did manage to do some gigs. Met met a, a, a great bass player, their local guy, Mecha Istvan, who is still a really dear friend to me, and he was able to sort of get me into a couple of situations. And then I also, um, there's a British school, so I would be a drum teacher at the British school one day a week. So I, I did a couple of things like this there, but didn't really explore the, the scene too much, except that I did go out a lot and went to jams or whatever. So there are great, you know, big shout out to all Budapest players I know because there are phenomenal musicians there, really, really, really great players. Isn't it crazy uh, to think about all the great players everywhere? I know, I know. <laughs> that's that's tr- that, that is that is very true. I I, I often say that to, uh, to 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 people here in Helsinki. A lot of lot of guys here, a lot of players here. They 
tend to talk a lot about how how great the Helsinki scene is, which by no means it really is a great scene. There are amazing players here, but I do say to them, look, please remember there there are equally great players everywhere. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, which I think is just a wonderful thing. Um, but in terms of Vienna and, and finding work in Vienna, I I I um, I sort of what I decided to do is I would go from Budapest to Vienna when we decided the move. I would go there once a week or every two weeks to the local sort of jam session, you know, the hip jam session, and then I would sleep on my friend's couch after the jam session and then go back to Budapest. So I would do this a few times even before moving. Um, to sort of acquaint myself with people there and stuff. And that jam session was run by an American place, bass player called Chris Jefferson. And I was talking to him about me and, and the family relocating to Vienna. And then when we did go there, he was kind enough to say, okay, you'll be the house drummer for the next five weeks. Wow. So that will get you in somehow, you know, at least that will make you local, you know. <laughs> um, and so that's what he did. So he booked me for five weeks, which I'm forever thankful and then after those five weeks, I was sort of part of the furniture in, in furniture in a way, like people knew that I lived in the town and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and if if I can say sort of cultural uh, stereotypes and stuff, which is always a, a scary thing to say, but I, I must say that Americans are probably the most open people I've ever met in in terms of they they don't need much history between two humans when when. They, they they can you know they will help you straight away like look you know okay you can play you're a cool guy yeah let me help you out and I I don't know what I don't I don't know why that is but it, it, if you'd have to pick one uh, group of people who are, are like that the most I would say it's the Americans and 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 the Brits as well oh that's that's great to know I I think that we we lift each other up the, the, there's just a, a mutual benefiting factor in that you know yeah and and there's no I mean. Yeah, that's well. That's good to know. <laughs> you know, it, it is. Like, I I have a funny story. So I've, I've been to Nashville once because uh, a good friend of mine from the PIT days. He he lives there. Great bass player uh, Brian Brian Allen. I don't know if you know Brian. Uh, I I know of him. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Brian. know of him for sure. Yeah. yeah, he's a phenomenal player. But I I, I spent a weekend in Nashville a few days a, a few years ago because my wife's sister's family lives in St. Louis. So one. One time on our trip there, on our family vacations, I, I rented a car and drove to Nashville because I thought I have to have to see yeah. see the scene and, and meet Brian and hang out or whatever. Um, and I remember we'd literally been in town on Broadway for an hour. We had a burger and a beer and sort of catched up, and then walking on Broadway, going to see some music, and then some guy just runs out of a, out of a bar. He's a friend of Brian, and this whole exchange took maybe five minutes, and me and Brian were on stage playing. <laughs> right, and, and for me, you know, coming from Helsinki and Europe and whatever, like, I'm in Nashville for the first time in my life. I love the city, I love the culture, I love the history of music, and I've been here for an hour and I'm on stage playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. So we just jammed a tune or two and then we carried on. Uh, but but that that's kind of in in like that's a good example of of the sort of openness that a lot of American musicians at least in my opinion have and I think that's that's super cool
while you were in Vienna, I, I, you mentioned uh, in our email exchange that you were in a local band and had a TV show gig and toured Austria, Europe, but then you were fired from the gig? Yes. Are you able to share that story uh, with us? Absolutely. That's I, I think that's a re- really good story with uh, quite a few... Um, uh, points to take for anyone, anyone you know who's younger and, and trying to navigate their career. Basically, when when we moved there, uh, obviously, apart from some local club gigs and some students that I had, I was obviously searching for something more steady and and maybe bigger and whatever. Um, so what I did, I I contacted lots of local players, got some emails and numbers and whatever, and just tried to be polite. Now. I never called anyone twice, <laughs> so that's also an important lesson to anyone younger. Like, I think it's totally cool to reach out to people, but it's not cool to start hustling people like, <laughs> you know, call number five. But I called people and emailed people, and then one local big-time session drummer said, like, oh, have you heard about this group called Ruskaya that they are auditioning? Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I've never heard, but let me check it out. And I went to their website, and I remember – Remember, the, one of the first things that I looked at on the website was was their tour page, and and the tour page had lots of gigs in in it, like lots of places around Europe, whatever. Um, and and I was sold by that fact because I needed to work, which is fair enough. But then it, it became apparent very quickly that one should never really chase a gig if it's not their own style of music. Mm. Because you can only fake something for so long, so to speak. Sure. Um, so, so this group was, uh, I guess, they were sort of a mix between ska and metal and 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 some crazy European influenced stuff. Like re- really, really cool band, really unique, and they're really successful and and great great group. But nothing to do with my musical background. Yeah, yeah. I coming from mm-hmm. coming from R and B funk played for Womack and Womack and just like more of a sort of a simple groove player, so to speak. And this was like high energy, punk, ska, metal, whatever it was. Um, but anyway, so I was able to get in touch with them, nice people. I was able to line up an audition and 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 I, I went to the audition as a, like the, the sort of a session player mindset, like, okay, I'm going to really play the part, learn the songs really well, um, learn the lyrics and really, like, try to be like they might be. So really put this persona in that that would be something that they might like. And they did, and I got the gig, and we started rehearsing, uh, and then I started, and I quickly learned that they had lots of internal problems, and they had fired their drummer, uh, which was, like, the founding member or whatever, and then, you know, the the... The, the the guitarist at the time, I guess, sort of hated the fact that the drummer was gone or whatever, so he would then sort of single out on me and sort of mm-hmm. hate everything that I did. And the whole thing within within few months became apparent that okay, I'm really not <laughs> really not liked here yeah. in, in what what I do and stuff. And uh, and also they had no idea really what they wanted in the sense. I remember one big show we did probably i don't know how many people there festival 5000 whatever and one guy on my right would scream at me too slow on on a track right and i'm like okay fine and i 
don't change anything. That's just, okay, fine. And then the guy on my left, the guitarist, would scream too fast. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, fine. So anyway, so this kind of carried on and carried on. And then eventually they just said, look, you know, I think you're the wrong guy on the gig. Um, and I was like, yeah, I, I probably am. <laughs> you know. So there was, there was no ill will. They changed the drummer. Uh, and they were super cool about it, super professional about it. They even, because uh, we had lots of gigs line up, they even paid me like paid me some of the gigs, like I can't remember what it was, maybe 10 gigs worth of money and stuff. I said, look, you know, no hard feelings. I was like, absolutely not. It was a great experience. But for for a, for a younger person, I think it's important to note that we should all search for and, and, and really try to focus on the things that we are good at and also the things that we really like. Because if you play music that you really like, you will just, you will sound better. <laughs> Yeah, that's really. I, I I totally agree with you. It's especially when we are marketing ourselves as a freelance musician, yeah, as a absolutely. as a sideman. You know, this is what I want to do. I want to play with many people, but still, uh, to recognize your wheelhouse, your comfort zone, and um, and maybe know when you're outside that comfort zone. Uh, recognizing your limitations, never n- never not striving to be the best, but you know, of course. I, but I, I, th- I think that when you are accepting work or doing things, uh, you know, you, you're putting your reputation on the line if you go too far, you know, outside that comfort zone. And I don't know. Absolutely. Uh, it, Absolutely. It, it could work against you. So. Yeah. Yeah. Also, also, I think also in terms of there's there's two things. There's the 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 session thing. And then there's the touring thing. Like, for example, I did all the right things. Like, I treated the audition as a session. Mm-hmm. So I went to the audition in, in that kind of sense. Okay, what kind of music is played? How I want my drums to sound? How I want to play? I'm going to learn the lyrics. I'm going to really play the part, which is what a, a, a good session player does. Mm-hmm. But then the thing is that you are... I can't say you're faking because that's not the right word, but you're 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 an act. You're like an actor in a way. Like you're doing a scene and you do it really well. And then in that situation, because it wasn't a session, it was an audition, they would then hire me based on what they saw. But then try to keep that persona in a touring environment for months on end when the scene is really not your scene, the music's really not your music. The internal politics in the band are kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then on top of that, which is not their fault, it's my fault because I didn't learn the language. But then like in the tour bus, everyone speaks German. And I didn't speak any German. So I'm just sitting there like, okay, this is interesting. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so all, all in all, so I think it's, it, it's just important for young players to, if they are striving for touring work, to kind of also really try to see the big picture that they should aim for music style that's really theirs hopefully the personalities are nice as well hopefully the money is somehow okay or whatever because that way you can then give your best and also do your best and and be the right person right girl or right guy for the job i've heard this before but jimmy paxton last interview that i did brought up these things these three a checkoff of three different things that you need for the gig to be worth it. The, the, there's the music. If the music is great, you know, the, there's the music, there's the pay, and there's the hang. 
Yes. And if, <laughs> I've heard this as well. Yeah. Right, right. It's two a pretty, out of three need to be right for two, you to take the gig. <laughs> exactly. And if three, all three are great, hey, amazing. But if only one out of those three, it's not worth it. And Absolutely. It's a good, it's a good just kind of go-to checkoff list. It's super simple and kind of almost like a, a dumb thing to say, but it's 100% true. It mm-hmm. is hundred percent true and especially especially for touring like for 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 um how do you guys say in america subbing we say depping it's a whole (laughs) different thing you you go in and out you go somewhere you do something for five days or ten days no big deal yeah um but if you're looking at a long-term situation you 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 must have two out of those three together okay so but but this word depping i'm going to start using it and I, 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 I'm going to change the whole scene, the whole language, man. I just love. I think it's hipper than than subbing. I'm going to start to start using that, and it's going to make its way around the world, around the <laughs> around Nashville, and eventually, and you're going to be like, "Hey, I, I think I, uh, I I told him about that." That's going to be right. Cool. <laughs> the, the the Finn the Finn tells uh, uh, an American a British way of talking. That's pretty funny. <laughs> well, I, man, I am such a fan of so much. British uh, <laughs> television and yeah, same here. you know writers and and same here. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful country in terms of popular culture. It's amazing. Yeah. And again, when I was saying how Americans behave in the scene and helpful, and, and I, I must say, Brits Brits are very much the same. I, I felt very welcome when I moved to London. I started this whole thing six years ago. When I moved to Finland, um, I was asked to do a lecture in the local university about about freelancing abroad and, and moving to a new city and all these kind of things. And and through that lecture, I sort of started to think about this in a more detailed and organized manner. And, and, and I, I must say I enjoyed much more than doing drum clinics, which I've done a few, but not many. Um, but I, I thought this kind of information is much more valuable to 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 new new music hopefuls than than some drum clinic where you sort of try to wove them with your chops and stuff which I don't have many anyway, <laughs> um, but I um, so I I sort of developed and 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 really really kind of thought about it. I, I developed a basically you can call it a clinic, you can call it a masterclass, you can call it whatever, but basically it it, it it's a sort of whatever seminar whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. where we. With the students, we we talk about this, what I call the soft skills of, of becoming becoming a musician, becoming a professional musician, and uh, and 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 I've been teaching that for six, five, six years now, and and I go with it around Europe whenever whenever it's possible, whenever the budget's high enough that they can fly me into a school, or if I'm gigging somewhere, then I'll contact contact the schools in 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 the city and and try to try to. Um, try to offer them this this sort of seminar but basically we we just talk about all the other stuff that that a lot of people don't want to speak about we speak about money we speak about self-marketing we speak about goals and dreams and and how to sort of structure your your uh your life the way that it would end up you having some kind of success with with your instrument mm-hmm. in, in in the freelance game um and i think the most people don't think about it that analytically. Obviously, I didn't think about it that analytically when I was 20 years old and stuff. But now I'm more interested in that. And I see see kind of a lot of people, whether they are 
doing it, uh, whether they know that they're doing it or whether they're doing it just by, by sort of accidentally in a sense. But I, a lot of people who are successful as a, as a freelance musician, they have all this other stuff as together as they have their playing. Right. And some of it involves, you know, juggling different types of jobs to be, uh, to be able to maintain a lifestyle as a musician. And some of it is yeah. just having the skills in knowing how to manage your time and your money to be able to work as a full-time musician. Because I think there's different scenes around the world where uh, it, it's a little bit easier to work as a full-time musician than it is others. Of and, course. and it's no reflection on you as a player or as a person. No, it just absolutely. happens to be where you live and the lifestyle that you choose. So could you tell us more about some of those skills that you feel have been necessary for for people? I, I think if, if you start from, from a very dry subject, I think money management is, is number one, you know. Yeah. I, I, I always say that uh, we, we work in a low-income low game, unfortunately, yeah. for most, most of the time. So uh, someone who doesn't make that much money needs to be expert <laughs> in, in how, to, how to use and, and, and what to do with the money. So that's one thing. I think also people should learn learn communication skills to, to, to know how to, how to sort of, how to present yourself, how to market yourself without being pussy or without like, that's the funny thing in arts that you need to sell yourself without ever letting anyone know that you're selling yourself right, <laughs> and, and, right. and, and, and not to be like misleading or, or, or fake by any means. I don't mean that, but you need to do certain kind of social things within the business of, of music to, to get work. Um, I think uh, Jason Sutter, who I'm a huge fan of, um, he's, he spoke about this in, 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 in a podcast I, 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 I heard of him or was maybe an interview or whatever. He, mm -hmm. he said something like, you know, our business is done in bars, so you need to be hanging in bars. And it doesn't mean if, that you should be having a beer or not, but you need to be, you need to be out there. And you need to find these, you need to make, real personal connections to people you can't just be online you need to be in there physically meeting people and, and being interested in things um but what i do in my what do i do in my my sort of seminar we talk, we go through seven seven things someone else might have 10 things someone might have five but i found these seven things important to important skill sets to learn and one is that you need to be able to set goals and, and follow them and you need to be able to dream as well which is kind of half and half and you need to be really good at planning because you don't have much time. You need to learn lots of songs and you need to learn your instrument better every day and whatever. And then one thing that you must learn is communication and networking. You need to learn how to do it in, in our game. Yeah. Because I think each industry has its own, own ways of communicating and networking. And then if you think of my previous story about getting fired from a gig that was wrong for me in the first place, you really need to know like you need to know your brand as corny as it sounds, mm. but you need to know what you are, what you represent and what you want to do. And then on top of that, you need to know your finances. And then there is two other things that we talk about. We talk about owning something, which I think in today's musical world, when there's less sessions than 10 years ago and way less than 20 years ago, I think people who are successful today, they are owners of something. 
So we talk about that a lot. Like, how can you own something, whatever that is, whether maybe it's intellectual property, maybe it's a cover band, maybe it's an original band, maybe whatever it is, but you need to be in charge of something to, to make money. So, so are you talking about creating passive income? Not necessarily even passive. I mean, mm -hmm. ideally, of course, passive income is, <laughs> is, is the best income there is because you can just sit at home. <laughs> but, <laughs> like but we are now. <laughs> it, yeah, it doesn't, it, it doesn't need to be passive income in the real sense. It could be, so, so you could be a songwriter yeah. and you create royalties. Uh, but it could be anything like if you live in a local scene and let's say you do a lot of cover work and you do a lot of, a lot of cover gigs, why should you be a cover band drummer instead of why don't you become a cover band owner that is your band and you're in charge mm -hmm. and you sell the gigs or you know you do the whole thing and therefore you have much more say in in the money and in everything else so that owning something can be you know it's a, it's a huge array of things one could own but it could be anything from a from a cover band to to hit song Yeah, no, I think that's that's really great. I, uh, that's one thing I don't think that we've ever discussed before is we talk about passive income. We've talked about, you know, communication and being being prepared and having being able to get along with people. But, I, but that's a really interesting point, especially if it gives you control over situations. Uh, exactly. Especially if your skill set is it, all the other points that you make are are intact like your communication skills, all those things. It's just you've got a, a more control of your future, your destiny. It's, is, yeah, that, is that absolutely. correct? Okay. Yeah, ex ex exactly that. And then, and also if, if, if you, if you, you know, if you hustle the gigs and if you sell the gigs or whatever, I think it's completely fair as, as long as you pay the other band members, the, the, the real proper wage of whatever that city you live in, whatever that wage is for the type of work that you offer to people. But I think it's completely fine for you to then also take a cut and, and make a bit more money because it's basically you're dealing with whatever you're dealing with. Right, um, right. And I, I think very often us, us sidemen, we just stay in the sideman headspace and then, you know, things change all the time and, and, One, one, one year someone is hip in the local scene and gets all the work and it might be you and, but then five years down the line, you might not be hip anymore and it's nothing to do with your playing. It's just, there's the, the, the new, new kid on the block who, or whatever. So if you can have the sideman work, but you can also then have something on next to it that, that, that you are in charge of, I think you have much better chance of, of being a full-time musician for all your life, you know, instead of just 10 years or 20 years. That's great, yeah. It, it creates consistency. You're not subservient to someone else's whims or career. Exactly. And exactly. so many of my friends have been fired or let go from a gig for reasons that aren't even, it, it's not even their, or any fault of their own. It's just... Well, yeah, often, often, it, often it, you know, Often when you get fired from a gig, it's it's not your playing, it's whatever. <laughs> you know, it can right. be maybe you did something wrong, but maybe they just thought, oh, we just want to try someone else for the next tour. Or maybe the person retired or just was done touring or they couldn't afford to tour anymore or, or yeah. you know, the, a whole host of reasons why yeah. that stuff happens. It's it, That's amazing. No, I, I love that. That's a really good point. Um, 
Zach, my I'm, co-host and I did. We've done. We just we've done one master class. Uh, it's very similar, and it, it just really piqued my interest. Uh, you're doing this, and and so you started this five years ago. Uh, I'm I'm guessing it it might have it's evolved a bit, or how how do you uh, get it out there to people? Well, uh, when whenever I'm going somewhere, where, wherever that is, whether it's locally in Finland. Or whether it's in in Europe, I if if I know that I have time, I just contact the local schools and say, "Look, I, this is what I do. Mm-hmm. I've done it 20, 30, 40 times yeah. in the past few years, mm-hmm. um, and maybe your school is interested in it." And 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 thankfully, quite a few places have been. And and I personally, I I get a lot of uh, I get a lot of uh, almost I get more in I get more satisfaction teaching this kind of subject matter than just going and playing my drums to drummers because um, I think that is available much more than than these things in a way. It, it is, also, especially with online things. It, it, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, that's it, really great. Yeah. So, so, but yeah, so, so how do I do it? I just, I just, I just cold call really. <laughs> sure. And, 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 and contact universities and say, do you want me to come and speak? Um of course, it's 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 sometimes difficult to, especially when you go to another country, to to convince them that they should hire me to speak <laughs> speak to their students versus someone else. But um, but yeah, it's 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 growing slowly, and it's, it's yeah, it's nice. I, I really enjoy it, and 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 luckily, all the schools I've been at, they've all wanted me back. So then, every two or three years, I go back to the same school. So now that I've done it for five years, there are some schools I've been already three times. Yeah, new students, and that's yeah, great. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by DrumSellers.com, the niche marketplace where drummers, drum retailers, and drum manufacturers buy and sell their gear. List your drums for sale for free, and the only fee is 4% if it sells. Simple. Check out all the new used vintage and custom drum eye candy at drumsellers.com. What I have done, now there's an amazing singer in LA called Tasha Taylor, who's the daughter of Johnny Taylor. Um, and she's, she's a phenomenal soul blues singer. And um, and last year she did a tour in France and then uh, another tour in Finland. And I organized the band for her, uh, rehearsed the band before she came out. And I also then booked a few shows in Finland for her to sort of extend the tour. She had had a tour set up in France that we did with her, and then she had some shows in Finland through her old booker, and then I sort of added to, to those, and we did a nice, I think, 10, 15 shows in Finland and, and, and France with her. And that was the first time where I, I, I don't want to say that was an MD because the lady is, uh, she's an amazing musician and she definitely MDs herself and her band, but I, I, you know, organized it for her, put together the band, made, you know, asked her the right questions, what kind of people she wants, and, and then chose, chose people I thought that might be right for her. And, and that's, that's some, that's maybe the next step that I'd love to, love to explore more. I'm not quite sure yet how, but, but, trying to offer offer that service to other sort of club-sized bands or club-sized artists from, from the States who want to tour Europe. And yeah. maybe, maybe there will be a way to have a European band because it would save them 
a lot of money, <laughs> you know. Right, 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 right. Of course, when you when you're big enough, you should always use your own own band and bring your band over. But when when you do club dates, the the, the setup costs to fly a whole band from the states to here and pay for the travel days to the musicians and pay for the extra couple of nights in the hotel or whatever. All of a sudden, you have seven, eight, nine thousand dollars already spent before the first show. Right, right. And and this way, if you have a European band waiting for you, uh, you know you you're saving a lot of money. Right. Basically, managing your expenses it allows you to kind of stretch a little bit further and do more. Yeah, put correct. yourself in yeah. in front of more people. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, Bill, that's exactly. that's the that's the ultimate goal is to get your music out to as many people. You're yeah, you're promoting yeah. something. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, have you always? been prone to uh, have you always had these organizational skills uh, uh definitely not 100 <laughs> percent not uh, i think now uh i'm 44 i'm so old i don't remember how old i'm, I'm yeah, 43 right. so i guess now in the past five ten years i've slowly uh, started to get these organizational skills together uh but of course as a, as a young guy a young young musician you know it's 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 a big learning curve but i i, I highly recommend anyone to to try these kind of things because because at the end of the day it's not that difficult to be organized enough to 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 book a band and and, and talk to an artist and, and make sure that they're happy and book a hotel room for them and maybe pick them up from the airport it's not you know, if you learn to play drums to a high level, learning to to book hotel rooms is is pretty easy. Well, I think people forget that, and and when you're working, and and this is I mentioned this many times on the podcast. When when you work with very creative, talented people, sometimes those organizational skills that seem easy to us aren't as easy for these. Uh, creative or just eccentric personalities. Of course, and and I. I it makes you a more valuable team member of the session of the band of the tour or whatever, when you can express that or you can show them that, Hey, I'm organized. I can do this. I'm responsible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I can take on maybe a few of these minor roles. And then if you're in an organization that requires an MD, a road manager, uh, these different things, they may, your name may come to the top of the list. That that's true. Yeah, in any any situation where, which is sort of a not a high budget production, basically basically a, a club club production. I think in those situations these days, there's always people doing more than one job because because you don't want to have you don't want to have lots of people on the road because it's really expensive. So very often, someone in the band might be the tour manager or or um, the sound guy might travel with you and and he might do bulk of the driving or whatever you know so so in 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 in, in smaller s- smaller situations i think it's it's a it's a great asset for any any musician to to learn these other skills and be able to to offer them as well yeah uh, you, you may yeah you may discover that you you really enjoy doing that you like having that control of those responsibilities <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure if that's if, if they're enjoyable <laughs> responsibilities, but but they're, they're fine. I mean, of course, like a good example with with Tessa when we toured with her a year ago, 
I was the road manager in Finland. Um, and then in France, the French agent that booked the tour, they they booked us uh, a driver slash tour manager. And he was super professional, super nice guy. Um, does it all the time in France. He was a French guy, so he knows the local local scene. And, and I was just like, I was, just, I felt really lucky on the second, second part of the tour being just the drummer. Oh, <laughs> you know? that's cool. Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, and, and I would have never even, rec- I would have never even taken the task to be a tour manager in a country that I don't know. I think that's a good that would point. be crazy. Um, but, but yes, I, I'm, I'm not sure if anyone fully enjoys these roles, but I think just, you know, it, also you, you shouldn't get too emotional about it. You should just get your head down and, do your thing that that then results you uh, working more. As musicians, we, we can be quite sort of emotional over things, <laughs> you know. Right, and right. I don't think it always benefits us. Also, a good thing to note on 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 these kind of van tours and and, and that kind of stuff where where, where there might be d- double responsibilities. I, mean, I would highly recommend any musician listening to this that if they are asked to do these things, you got to be careful in in the money thing that if you are doing you know, t- two times the work than, than the bass player, you should be <laughs> getting more money. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I have, I have seen and heard about situations that you do a, a, a band X does a tour and then someone says like, oh yeah, I drove the whole tour. And then I would say to them in the conversation, well, well at least, you know, you made you made more money. And then they would be like, oh no, I didn't. And that's that's really dumb because you, you need to make sure that if you work more than the other people, you should get paid more. I think us musicians, we, 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 we have a real issue in, in, in talking about money because we love it. We love, we love the craft so much that we, we uh, often over, overlook the money side and stuff. Um, but I think, I think what I also tell to the students and stuff, I think the general good rule of thumb is that if there is no money in a situation, you can't go in asking for a lot. And at the same time, if there is clearly a budget and money in the situation, you can't go in and not get paid. Yeah, yeah, um, right. Because I have, I have seen situations where something is really, you know, it's just something fun to do, whether it's a, it's a live situation or whatever it might be. And let's say you're playing in a, in a small bar somewhere and doing something fun, and then a musician might ask, oh, how much the gig pays? And then you say, well, it pays this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no way I can, I can do stuff like that. And then they, they, they might get, sort of almost angry about it like how can you work for that kind of money and then you say well this situation clearly doesn't have any <laughs> so how can you you know then just don't do the gig you know what i mean and then same time you see musicians doing the opposite that they do something really big and they do it way too cheap because they feel okay this gig is insta worthy or facebook worthy so i'm, I'm just going to go into that gig to, to to promote myself but i don't think that's necessarily smart long term like if, if there is money in the production, you need to get paid whatever you're worth. I don't necessarily have an answer to how we manage, you know, that 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 three tier system: uh, the music, the hang, the pay. Uh, because yeah. there's there's always a balance in there. Because uh, you know, we 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 talk about not devaluing our craft by Absolutely. taking a gig for little to no money, but there are g- numerous examples of you know, wonderful players and, and respected players that say, hey, there's a gig that I do, 
you know, once a month or twice a year or, you know, on Monday nights or whatever. And it's the best players and I have a really good time. And sometimes we make 50 bucks and, you know, or it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a beer and a, and a meal or whatever, but it's like, it feeds my soul. It, uh, because there's just, there's so many different types of work that we do, um, that not everything has to be on spec with pay and, and things like that. But no, of course not. But I think, I think in, in that situation, whoever plays in that bar on a Monday night, they all know, you know, the bar is small. The takings are not that big. Mm-hmm. There isn't much money. So no mm-hmm. one's going to be asking for a lot of money for something when, when it's not there. Yeah. But then these same people, high quality musicians with with big track records, then they do something where where there is money, and I'm sure they're not going to do it for fifty bucks. <laughs> uh, but I think young young players sometimes forget these things, and of course, when you're young, you need to uh, gain experience as well. Right, so, and your expenses are low. When I, I mean, before I was married and had kids, that too. I of I, course. I did a a big band gig for two and a half years every Monday night. And one of my old college professors was the band leader, and it was a twenty-one piece band, twenty-two including right. the, the the director, and it was just by donation, and we averaged around fifteen dollars a person. Yeah, of course, when it's twenty-one of you, right? Yeah, I understand that. <laughs> but I got my ass kicked every Monday night. I was sight reading charts, and I felt like my education was being extended beyond my school. Of course. And I was getting paid $15 to take a lesson every Monday yeah. night. It, but that makes total sense to do that in, yeah. in, in, in that, that part of one's life. I think that's, that's the smart thing to do. Yeah. Because um, cause we, we the only way to learn to play is to play. You can, you can study as much as you can, but you have to get out and, and start playing. Um, we actually talk about this. I, I did this, this record for the Swedish jazz singer, Mary Nelson, phenomenal Phenomenal jazz singer. Um, we did that. There was a Swedish band and me on drums, and then there was a, a guy from New York, uh, really hip young trumpet player, Benny Benak the Third. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but probably mm-hmm. in a few years' time, everyone will know him. But we talked about this, this, the same thing about gigs and and maybe about money, and but mainly about gigging. And and he was saying he lives he lives in New York, and he was saying like how all 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 the cats, all the young up and coming guys there and girls they 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 do easily anything from five to 15 gigs a week wow you know in any any corner bar they'll be you know they'll be playing yeah and you do one two three three gigs a night somewhere and and of course the money is probably not that high but then when you're young and your your overheads are low and you're learning th- th- i believe that's why new york produces the best jazz musicians because mm. they just they just play 10 times more than, than let's say, the jazz musician in, in some smaller town because there's just so many gigs. One last question I have for you is, is there anything that's very unique about touring in Europe compared to touring in the U.S. that you've noticed? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Is there anything unique? Um, I guess what's different is that, that even though when you're in L.A. or you're in New York, it, it is very different. In, they are different places, but at least because you have the same language throughout the country, I would say the the biggest difference here, touring here, is that you are in a different, fully different culture. And if not every night, but but you know you go through multiple of countries, and I I think that's 
that's that's really awesome because you, 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 each country is, is it is so unique. They have their own language and their own customs and all that. And of course, I guess then you know the, just architecturally, it's it's a fun place to tour. Uh, of course, the United States is also actually a fun place to tour if you're in Chicago or San Francisco, LA, wherever. But but of course, these old European towns, Finland is quite a new country, so we don't have that much of architectural history like there are in, in Middle Europe. So I, I find that super exciting to, to play in, in in new European cities because they all have so much just just so much time has passed in that particular city. Yeah. But other than that, I think touring is the same around the world you sit in the car or bus or van a lot of times and uh, and uh, and then you play a show and then you do it again <laughs> yeah there's more similarities than there are differences i bet absolutely of course there are yeah that's great yeah. well it just it, you know touring europe just seems like such an amazing thing and, it, and it's nice to hear that even someone that but we, lived... we think that way we think that way about the united states you <laughs> get to tour states it's like wow that's incredible and i i, I still remember it's been long time since I toured the States, but I still remember those those cities and travels and people I met, you know. It, it, it's always, grass is always greener. Exactly. Uh, you know. Exactly. Oh, you guys say that too? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, man, it, it's been a joy to talk to you and it's good to uh, kind of refocus our minds and, and and talk about these things and 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 learn and grow in this kind of crazy time. So I, I appreciate the time and the and, and your insight. I, I have to say I'm I'm super honored that you wanted to talk to me and, and, yeah. and get a get my perspective on 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 working as a as a musician. I I'm a huge fan of the show. Um, oh, awesome man. And awesome. and so many of my heroes been been there interviewed by you. So. You know, I, I feel honored that you wanted to, you know, have the time and, and have a chat with me. Yeah, it's it's our pleasure. Uh, please uh, stay safe. Uh, keep in touch with us, and um, when we're on the other end of this, I'm I'm going to subscribe to your attitude that you first mentioned when we got on the phone. Is people are going to be hungry for the arts and music and all these things and. We're just going to come back and just knock this out. It's going to be great. I, I, I'd like to believe that. I, I, I really believe that. And, and music and arts and just socializing because, uh, you know, we've all, all, all lost our physical ability to socialize right now. And, and I mm -hmm. think that's, that, that's an awful thing. Of course, we can do it online. But I, I do believe that people want to be out and hanging out. And, and if, if the band is good, people will stay in that bar. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Yeah. so I think there's going to be a lot more music to be played. Yeah. Thank you, Kari. I appreciate it so much, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, me, me too. I really appreciate that we, we were right. able to catch up. And when I'm in Nashville one day, then we'll hook up for a beer. That would be great. That would be great. That, that will definitely happen. I don't know if it's five years from now or three or <laughs> I must visit again because it, uh, it was an amazing experience. To be yeah, it's, it is. It's I, a wonderful I, place. I live here, and I miss it being stuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course, I understand. All right, well, be be well. You too. Thank right. you so much. Sure, man. Bye-bye. Right. Cheers. Bye.
So there you go, my conversation with Kari. I appreciate him taking the time. It was uh, eight hours, I believe, time change, so that was kind of fun. Me talking to him early in the morning with my coffee and him discussing all this stuff with me uh, at night with his beer. So uh, I appreciate his unique perspective and his time in Europe. It seems like uh, such a cool fantasy at this point to think about traveling in Europe and touring in Europe. And I know for them, coming to the United States is, is cool, but man... I would love to go to Europe, and we're hoping by the time we're on the other end of all this madness that we can get out and travel and do all the things that we love and uh, hug some people and make some music. Again, resources, episode 263. If you go back one episode, you can find a list of links that can take you to websites that offer financial aid for those of us in the music industry that are suffering right now. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview. As I mentioned at the top of the show, there's a link to Michael Mercurio, our financial advisor. If you have any questions about your investments, go check that out. I hope everyone is staying safe, staying indoors. I hope you're keeping your spirits up in unique and creative ways. I know I am spending a lot of time practicing and writing and still producing the podcast as Zach is as well. And um, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate your feedback. I wish everyone the best during this time. Stay safe, stay strong, stay well, and hope to see you around. Bye-bye.